Hi everyone, welcome to Like a Real Book Club, a podcast from Rebel Women Lit, where we talk about books and just about everything else. I'm Jerain. I'm Christina. And I'm Ashley. Hey everyone, just a quick interjection before you continue. We'd like to officially put a trigger slash content warning on this episode. You'll essentially be dropped into the middle of a conversation about sexual grooming, sexual abuse, and sexual violence, and how that has played out in the Jamaican context, as well as in our own personal lives. While we would really love for you to listen and participate in this conversation with us, we also completely understand that this may also bring up some uncomfortable emotions that you'd rather not engage with. Just know that we appreciate you if you choose not to continue listening, and we appreciate you if you do. Either way, stay lit and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Lady Bird is this film about this uh, female protagonist who hates the small town that she lives in, and she wants to go to school in New York City or whatever. And um, she wasn't super, she wasn't popular because she wasn't rich. And uh, so she just decided to pretend like she was rich so she could hang out with the in-group. And uh, they used to always go to this place, I forget what them call it, but let's say they called it, let's say they call it the dunes or something like that, right? So they used to, all the cool people would go to the dunes and it would be the cool girls and the cool guys. And then when she finally was a part of that space, she realized the dunes was this freaking parking lot that they would just go to and smoke. And it's like, when you're not a part of the space, you feel like you put all of this, uh, you you imagine what it's supposed to be. And the FOMO is just like, oh my God. But then you get there and you're like, this is so boring and nobody's talking to anyone. And uh, why am I here? <laughs> so I don't know. But then... I'm not sure if... It kind of uh, sounds like Gossip Girl. I never watched Gossip Girl, you know? But uh, if it's like that, then Gossip yes. Girl was iconic. I'm sure it's it was. It's stupid as hell, but it's iconic. I loved Gossip Girl. I loved every second of it. It's so ridiculous, but I loved Gossip Girl. I never read the books, though. I know my sister did, but I didn't read them. I just watched the TV show. So bad, but so good. So good. <laughs> so good. Pretty sure I've rewatched it maybe twice. Really, you rewatched it? I just know who Gossip Girl is because of like Twitter stuff, but I don't know. I, I don't know. Gossip Girl was a rich guy, right? Um, it really is a bunch of Upper East Side teenagers acting like adults. But wasn't Gossip Girl like a scan? Like she used to. Um, black male people, kind of like A from Pretty Little Liars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah without the murder. Yeah, and murdering. Because the... it's the Upper East Side, so of course there's lots of drama. And... It turned out it's to be the guy. Yeah, I, I started rewatching it uh, a few years ago, and I didn't like. It's so weird now watching it. I guess with more opened eyes. Versus when I was watching it in high school or the end of high school, it's like there 
that the whole season one there was a, a an attempted an rape attempt scene rape. Oh and that happened again and then that guy ends up gets reformed as one of the charming dark mysterious yep. guys and i'm just it like does not hold up to scrutiny at all like it that. really doesn't and so does um priscilla lyles because i'm just oh like this is a teacher oh who's praying oh on this little girl yeah and why is that a thing in tv shows because that even happened with um riverdale and i'm like okay i understand that Actually, no, I don't understand it. I'm saying these are book adaptations to TV, but it really shouldn't be, or you should at least critique it. I think in Riverdale, there was an attempt to kind of address it, and then it just kind of got swept under the rug again. And then I stopped watching it. I'm like, there's no way you have these big dusty teachers preying on teenagers, and you're just going to pretend that it's a cute high school romance. It's creepy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I started watching Pretty Little Eyes. I'm not even sure what prompted me to watch it i didn't watch it um in real time so i started watching it earlier this year maybe it was quarantine that pushed me to do it oh no (laughs) but i was watching it because i knew it was very popular so it's like oh let me see what this was about and i um saw the the development of the relationship between aria aria sorry and what's his face ezra Ezra, and i was through the entire thing i was like are you, are you guys really going to romanticize yep. this entire thing? Yep, yep. Are you guys and... really going to not to justify it as well? Because they made sure to consistently mention that um, he just left university. Mm-hmm. And, and he's just a teacher's assistant or whatever. And I'm like, this does not make it better. Because she's, Mm-mm. what, 16? And he's like, what, 21? Um, I don't think he was that young, was he? Oh, no, he was probably like twenty four, right? I think he's in his mid twenties. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I cannot believe that this entire series is just glossing over. Like the biggest hurdle in their relationship is that they might get caught. Like that's mm-hmm. the biggest mm-hmm. hurdle, not the fact that uh, he's a grown ass adult and they're um they're characterizing him as this. Uh, um one he's a nice guy he's a good guy um he just loves her so much and he's so kind and he's so thoughtful and he's just he's so understanding i'm like when are we going to get to the fact (laughs) that he's dating a 16 year old student not just any 16 year old student but his 16 year old student when are we going to address this part and i just couldn't anymore i just had to stop because Yeah, no thanks. I'm reading Grown by Tiffany Jackson. Actually, I'm rereading it. Um, so in it, it she starts off the book by telling you it's not about R. Kelly, <laughs> but once you read that, you or even if, once you read it, you just can't unsee all the R. Kelly similarities. And one of the things that they address in it is the idea of that that same thing, the age differences between teenage girls and older boyfriends and at what point does it become uh, predatory? And it's it it does such a good job of addressing the nuances between, okay, if someone is 18 and their girlfriend is 
like 14 or 15 and they met in high school or something like that um, versus and and how weird that that whole dynamic can even be and someone who is I think in the book the the singer is 20 28 or 29 I can't remember and she's still in high school she's 15 no she's sorry She's 17, just about to go 18. And just the power dynamics and the weirdness between that. And it's so, oh gosh, I'm messing up this book. It's so good in addressing the nuances because it addresses so many of the things people talk about. And a lot of the things that would have come up with the R. Kelly cases with what their parents knew, or some of them were adults and all of this thing. And I'm just like, it's so normal for us. Like pedophilia sounds like such a heavy, mm-hmm. awful word. But when you don't use the word, everything around it is so normalized. The idea of getting a schoolgirl in Jamaica is so normalized. It it's really disgusting. Yeah. Um, you know, the idea um the and you have your course right. I'm just mm-hmm. like, what? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That topic was floating around on the timeline recently with the whole taxi and schoolgirl argument and people are just like, this is not something that's new. So this conversation is actually reminding me of my own personal experience, which we can maybe cut out of this podcast, but we could probably still use. Um, So when I was maybe 15 14 going on 15 i met this guy he was about five years older than me and he eventually became my quote-unquote boyfriend um when you're in the situation it it feels absolutely normal and it feels intoxicating and it feels um it feels really exciting, just really exciting, this idea that this older person is interested in you and mm-hmm. it sort of gives you a f- almost like a false sense of self in a way um, because here is this, again, this older person who sees you as on their level, whatever that level is, because um, even then you're projecting, you're projecting this level of maturity onto them and so the fact that they see you as equal to them um fills you with this false sense of self and at the time I obviously didn't see anything wrong with it um because he was going to university so my head is like oh we're both going to school we're fine but uh, it wasn't until um you know when I got older and we broke up and I gained more knowledge and then the I don't know if you guys remember that relationship with Tyga, I think it was, and um, one of the Kardashian sisters, the younger one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, that's mentioned in the book as well. <laughs> they're similar, their age difference, right? And a lot of people were saying, um, but nothing wrong with that, because when I was this age, my boyfriend mm-hmm. was this age, and, mm-hmm. you know, we were fine. But then I'm like, no, actually, you weren't fine. And I wasn't fine either because it wasn't until I left that relationship that I realized the subtle grooming. Um, We don't think of it as grooming because it's sometimes it's not sexual. Sometimes it's also like an emotional, psychological kind of grooming, um, training you to be a particular way with them. Um, 
but also just the power dynamics and a lot of issues with consent because when you're 15 16 in a relationship with somebody who's older and the idea of sex comes up um a lot of the times you think that you're consenting to have sex Mm -hmm. with the person when really you're not it's more that you're coerced into it with very subtle um subtle what you call it um I don't know. I don't know how to term it. I don't know what the term is, but um, pushing you to have it, but in the in a very cute, in a very subtle way where it seems like you are the one who's warming up to the idea when really they're just it's like um, manipulating you. It's that they right right they're really just manipulating you into doing it and then the very famous just the tip kind of thing um that sort of subtle manipulation and we don't realize that when we're young and in it and it's it's not our fault obviously because you have these people who are much older who are very much aware of what they're doing and why they're doing what they're doing and who have the power to um cut this off um and i remember too a lot of the older guys who lived in the neighborhood that i lived in i remember they used to call me and some other girls quote-unquote jailbait well not jailbait that's not the word um but i know that's an american term an american term jailbait but there was a jamaican equivalent to that that they called us and mm-hmm. i remember at the time we thought it was really cute and we would laugh at it because we say, oh, you know, that just means that they find us attractive. Mm-hmm. And again, we were young and naive. <laughs> but again, it's those little things um, that we, we, we normalize a lot. Like we don't, we don't call them what they are. We don't give them a name. And I'll end this rant very soon. It's not a rant, but I'll end this very soon. But I'm just remembering how um this shows up in so many young adult um literature um so many young adult romance um twilight being the most famous but um it shows up in so many of them where um who was older this older guy fantasy well edward was technically a hundred and something but it was more the oh, idea of okay. um it's more the the playing up of Toxic the mature toxic. older guy who uh, is protective yeah. but at the same time needs you to survive so you thing, are right? it's ridiculous <laughs> the it's the protective one they're protective but Two. also manipulative because right. they're protective of you but somehow their life is your responsibility which mm, is something exactly. that came up in grown and I just it made me reflect a lot on Similar-ish to you, Christina, in terms of a terrible, weird relationship I had in high school where I'm just like, wait, what? And reading the book, I'm just like, it gave me pause because I was just like, holy shit. Is that moment you realize that, you know, you can read about something academically and you can, especially if you're involved um, as you are and as both of you are in terms of advocacy and women's rights and all of that fun stuff. Mm But it's one thing for you to know it and to advocate for it. It's another thing for you to be like, oh, wait, this, 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 this is hitting closer home. Mm-hmm. This happened to me. 
So it, it's the idea of, yeah, they're very protective of you and they're older, more mature and more experienced. But then they tell you that you're very mature for your age and they tell mm-hmm. you that you are, they need, they need you, that you keep them grounded. You're the one thing in this world that they cherish. And it, it's just these, this like thugging, like this, this tugging back and forth between needs and wants and you feeling responsible for this person and you feeling also special and it's one of the things that came up a lot like I'm reading grown and it's just mind-blowing how well Tiffany Jackson wrote it because you can see the type of person that that gets in the situation and that this type of person is very common. This type of person, like it, it's easy from the outside looking in to be like, oh, but she's an idiot. How she end up in this? Mm-hmm. Or she know what she do. And but you when you when you see what's happening to her, you go, oh, you, you can see how manipulative this is. You see how how like brainwashing it is in terms of how this thing works and how, especially as a young girl and you're being told that you're a young girl, but at the same time, you're being told that you're a young lady and you need to grow up and it's you going, oh, I can handle this situation. I know what I'm doing versus this is very uncomfortable, but I can't talk to an adult about this. I'm supposed to be a young adult. I need to be figuring out my own thing and making mm-hmm. decisions. Mm-hmm. And grooming isn't even something that entered my vocabulary until much later in life. Um, and the idea of force ripe, on the other hand, was something that I heard a lot. So you don't hear about men or oh, older yeah. people manipulating young people because I don't want to suggest men alone because women do it as well yeah they hear a lot about older people manipulating young people you don't hear about that but you'll hear about young people being forced right and pushing themselves, pushing themselves on all of these things and oh you think you reach that was something that I heard a lot in high school <laughs> you think you reach or they get them forced right and yeah, you, it's just where we center the blame. It's where we center the the problem as being on young people and not these older people taking advantage and manipulating young people, especially emotionally, which then oftentimes leads to sexual manipulation. But yeah, Tiffany Jackson, you, you really did a damn good job with this book because I'm reading it and like, I, I read it already. And I, I sped through it and I had to, I started reading it again two nights ago, just very slowly because yeah, it, it's, it's, it's one of those stories where you hear a lot of the stuff marketed towards teenagers traditionally have been, especially young girls have been the romanticism of being with an older, um, more secure, whether emotionally, financially, more experienced type of man. And I'm saying man deliberately, but then they're supposed to be like a, a cute boyish thing about them. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I, I don't know of, until now, I don't really know of addressing grooming and how that happens and the dark side of, or the dark reality of what that looks like. So... Yeah, we grew up with shit shows. <laughs> you know what? This reminds me of two, um, two Jamaican plays in particular. 
Um, so one, the very famous dancehall queen. And then there was this other one. Um, it was done more recently. Shit, I can't remember the name of the playwright, but it was about this um, the student, this young girl who ends up in a relationship with this much older guy. Um, she falls pregnant. I love that phrase. She falls <laughs> pregnant and... <laughs> You know, like it's an illness. Um, it is. Well, yeah. Yeah. but so she, she she falls pregnant and he, when she tells the older guy that she got pregnant, he breaks up with her, um, cuts her off, all sorts of things. And of course, as is commonplace, the girl is the one who reaps the repercussions of that. Um, in addition to having to drop out of school, um, she gets shamed by her mother, by her community, etc. And it it just reminds me of this um, again this idea of force ripe and how we how we characterize young girls without even looking at how we have created a society that has told us that we need to be dependent on this type of man, right? So we don't address patriarchy at all in any of this. We don't address how. Um, we've created this sort of dependent relationship and how from a long time um, when young girls are looking at their environment, looking at their mothers having to um, constantly depend on some baby father or some some somebody and I've, I've, I've been in that situation right because where I grew up, I grew up in Adigeto and I've seen I've seen this thing play out time and time again where women have had to depend on um, different men for survival and having to do um, a number of things for survival. Um, and we don't, we, we were yet to address that sort of, um, the sort of environment that causes so many young girls to seek out these men they seek them out obviously but sometimes the girls seek them out too but it's the way that we that we talk about that seeking out we talk about it in a way that blames this young girl for doing what she has to do to survive um for doing what she's been told to do to survive in order to survive and then i'm thinking about dancehall queen where um the mother um basically pimped out her daughter as a way of securing um securing school fee and lunch money and dinner for her children and how that eventually led to this man raping the young girl and again we 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 have these things that exist and we portray them in books and we portray them in film and we portray them in TV series. And I don't think a lot of people have handled it with the care that it needs. Um, I don't think a lot of people have handled it in a way that uh, um, positions these young girls as one um, as people who are doing survival work, even if they haven't said it intentionally, even if for them it's not survival work, it is. Um, and looking at how how much our environment, how much our society, how much they, the things that we grow up seeing and hearing about influences our perception on, on, on how relationships are supposed to look and what we need to do in order to survive.
so yeah, we're going to continue to have this sort of um, sexual grooming of young women and young boys from these older people because, again, we, 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 we see them as the problem as opposed to the adults who are in the situation who know better because a lot of them know better, right? We know so them young, them big money, and know so them not for there with local girls, mm-hmm. but we know so them are going to drive up in a BMW, um, see them on the roadside, in a them uniform, and still look them and ask them if they want a ride, go home. We know. <laughs> Gosh, I, I feel overwhelmed or tired. I feel tired when I think about all of these things. I, I, I don't know. I feel like Grown is going to be one of those books that stay with me, especially because, I don't know, Tiffany is just such an amazing young adult writer in terms of addressing these very big issues, but still the story ends up becoming a mystery story becomes a crime story she's really good at that and one of the things that again the manipulation is so good because the main character in it she comes from a very poor background she has an amazing voice like I keep reading it and I just want to hear how she actually sounds because this girl singing Aretha Franklin and all sorts of all these songs and you know when you hear certain people say they're going to sing a certain song and you go you sure you really want to cover that Gladys Knight but apparently everybody in the book is really blown away by her covering all of these classic big Mm. voices I'm just like okay I'd love to hear and then this guy comes along and the way he's described in the book, his name is Corey. The way he's described, he's like the next Michael Jackson kind of guy. He's the one everybody knows. Everybody's talking about. He's the big deal musical prodigy. Um, dated a Kardashian. So, you know, a big guy, big deal. And he comes along and he tells her that she's very talented. He wants to take her to the studio. And her parents, of course, are like, um that's great but she needs to focus on school we don't Uh really know this guy and Uh it's just the way he manipulates the parents manipulates her and then finally the parents were against her going on tour but she convinced them to let her go she needs and she convinced them that yo we need money to do it anyways so i'll just it'll just be two months i'll stay in school i'll keep up with that and we get the money and once you go on tour, the, the parents can't hear from her at all. He mm-hmm. took away her phone. He took away everything. And I'm giving away so much of the book. But it's just the way that that's they, fine. They pull you in with, we'll take care of your family. But you don't say it like that. You don't make it sound like we're giving her an opportunity, her talent, and blah, 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 once in a lifetime. And then the moment they have her, it's like a cutoff. And there's a lot of big industry reasons why they can't get to her. She's, she's on tour, also like calling the record label, blah, blah, blah. And all of these things, it's just from the outside looking, especially when the cases came out with R. Kelly, it was like, oh, but the parents knew. The parents allowed them to stay at this house. And mm-hmm. it's like... Did they though? Like, I'm pretty sure, uh, like, a lot of these parents would not have agreed to what happened if they knew what actually happened. And so, in the book, it's like they want to charge him with kidnapping her, but she wasn't kidnapped. She yeah. she went there. The parents allowed her to go. Like, 
they signed papers saying that she could have gone, but the, it's just the way that a lot of these things work around the system in terms of manipulating young people, manipulating their minds, their bodies. And it's, it's one of those books where I, I, um, I'm glad I read it. And at the same time, I'm disturbed by how realistic it is because, and I, I, I keep wondering, Tiffany Jackson is of Jamaican heritage. And I, I keep wondering what it would be like if this book was set in Jamaica, what that story would be mm-hmm. and how much differences and similarities would be. Because there are lots of similarities that I see now and I know that there are lots of things I, that would, you know, when you don't really, you see something every day and you're so used to it and until someone frames it in a certain way, you go, oh my God, what the yeah. heck? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the whole force ripe thing for me is just, so real at the moment reading this and how normal it is for us to accept it yeah (laughs) it's very easy to prey on vulnerable people and it's it's tried and proven for politicians do that um individual people do that like uh, if you know that somebody wants something and will do anything to get it then that's where you have them. It's already a trap. And so, I don't know. I don't know how you can even avoid a situation like that. But, And I mean, again, it's the over-sexualization of our women, of our girls. And is it, I mean, and a lot of people will look on Jada Kingdom and she's like a primary example of somebody who, or a, a, girl, a young girl we call force ripe. But the only the forthrightness, mm-hmm. and I said that in quotes, is what we thrust upon her. Like, she has no control over what her body looks like. So what if she has big boobs, big ass, big thighs? Like, she looks thick as... And she has, like, the 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 Coconut. ideal shape, body type. It doesn't... Like, she has no control over all that. So I don't people sexualizing her and she's like this big sex symbol she was she did pose for i think it was like rare nephew or rum bar or one of those calendars and i mean my girl is still i think a teenager if not she just turned 20 and this was like two years ago you know and so these are things that we as a society have just constantly turn a blind eye to because what? Oh, they're getting they're getting compensation for it. You know, it's not like she's doing it for free or whatever. But still, there's always this uh, transactional nature that women have to go through in order to, especially women in creative fields, in order to make sure that your career is the thing that saves you at the end of the day. So you have to latch on yourself to some man or to some, usually a man, in, in the business who knows it and who's going to help guide you through it and in exchange yeah forgive him so, I mean maybe you spend all this time and so you fall in love whatever maybe it's natural but then a lot of the time I feel like the setup of it a lot of it has been set up already and then you just kind of like people just play the part until things naturally take its course and that's scary because you realize that uh, I mean again maybe it's speculating well I'm speculating but for me you realize that it was never the choice of the woman at all and that's a huge disservice to any woman to anybody 
Um, so two things came to Yeah, mind. but like, can you maybe be making a choice? Sorry, go ahead, Christina. Oh. oh. Um, so yeah, one, I was, re- I was um, trying to remember a poem from Stacey Ann Chin's Crossfire. Mm-hmm. Um, that entire first section was a litany of survival, right? And it just reminded me of or well, this conversation just reminded me of that section and how so much of girlhood, womanhood, um, is queerhood a word? <laughs> Queerness is um, survival. And so many, and one of the main things we have to try to survive is sexual violence, um, predatory relationships, um, just violation of our body and our person. And the other thing, while we're talking about artists, I remember watching um, this video from this YouTube channel for Harriet. Um, the host, Kimberly, so she did like a like an analysis of Billboard um, top 100 or top 10 charts. Mm-hmm. Um, so what she did was she looked for the different Black women who charted on those charts and did sort of a comparative analysis between them and the white women who were on it. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that she she realized or concluded was that in order for black women to really sell commercially, they have to take on this very sexual persona. But yeah, so she she realized or she concluded that in um almost every black woman or black young girl who charted highly um they had to either be selling um well not selling like their song was either very sexually explicit or Mm -hmm. had sexual undertones um their persona was very sexual um very overtly sexual and obviously there's absolutely nothing wrong with writing and singing songs about sex or playing up sex that's perfectly amazing wonderful we love it we're here for it um but it's just the comp- the 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 idea that as a black woman you have to in order to be successful within that industry you have to take on a particular um character and a particular a particular persona whereas for the white women on the charts um that wasn't their that wasn't what they were known for like their songs weren't weren't necessarily sexual with the overtones or undertones and their persona wasn't a sexualized one either so think you discussing jada it just reminded me of that and and i wonder how much of uh, um how many artists how many young women artists especially women who are in a dancehall space feel the need to um sexualize themselves in order to um in order to be commercially successful um it makes me wonder how much of uh, how much of that that structural idea um, plays into how they see themselves as artists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Because I remember when Jada Kingdom first started out and she used to do a lot of like conversational 
she used to do like a lot of IG lives and just talk to her audience and whatever. And she used to always say that, you know, like I'm not somebody who is very sexual. I don't have sex a lot. Like I don't even like having it. And then there's like this flip now of how she presents herself to her audience. And she spoke openly about being bisexual. And now it's just like, I don't know, like I just feel like she just has a very traditional sexualized role and um, I mean I get it it sells I suppose but uh, I don't know I just kind of feel like it's a I feel a little cheated you know but then she's also been through a lot of I think it's more than that it's more um again this structural thing where we sexualize black women we know that there's a history of um sexualization of black women and i don't know how many i don't know how many people realize that that's also a thing here in jamaica um i know that a lot of us don't have conversations about race Mm -hmm. and um the history of racism and how racism plays out structurally because a lot of people assume that we don't have racism in jamaica we have classism we um, don't have a racial issue we have classism god i hate i want to punch anybody who says that Sorry. Um, I think it's that structural um, sexualization that needs to be discussed and just how it how it influences perception and how it influences um, how we view success because that was that was the, 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 the premise of for Harriet's study can call it a study a bit of a research was just that um the how the stakes are set up how the stage is set up rather um in order for a black woman to be successful like really commercially sex um successful she has to exude this particular persona like it's it's not that she won't be successful if she doesn't um because mm-hmm. we can name a number of artists who um black women artists who have been successful but when we think about um really um commercially successful artists there's this um this sexiness that's put onto them this sensual kind of thing and Mm -hmm. it's a lot to interrogate i think and a lot to to really look through and see the different nuances Mm -hmm. within that for sure I'm always willing to learn more about this topic and have more conversations because there's a lot of it that I don't understand because I've it hasn't been my personal experience and I think I come with I approach this topic with a lot of bias and so I I try my best to acknowledge it um when I am having these conversations and to try and listen but Honestly, it's just, uh, it can be so disheartening to know that this is this is something that so many women can relate to. It's scary. Welcome to mine is how little things have changed um, in terms of the slave societies and how in the Caribbean, white women, mixed women and black women all have different... Um, they all have different experiences of oppression with regards to their bodies, but how these things change and how these things 
are similar, but at the same time, very different. So the expectations of white women traditionally and what their goals and aspirations have been. So while like all women in Caribbean slave society faced some sort of gendered oppression, white women, they remained exempt from the burden of racism and how white women had different opportunities and even mixed women had different opportunities to achieve financial independence outside of the sexualization of their body it was a lot limited it was a lot more limited for black women so you'll have i think i'm trying to remember who wrote this I don't know if it's Brathwaite or Barbara Bush who had written about white women owning like brothels that would host the so in the Caribbean they would have white women who would own brothels they would host um they would have black women and mixed women um somewhere slaves somewhere freed as I guess products <laughs> in these brothels, um, especially for slave women, it wasn't a choice, but it could be somewhere that a lot of white and mixed men could come and buy women for sex. And the women that were paid there, those were some of the limited opportunities that they would have for financial freedom. And it's just these small nuances that we barely have a lot written about in history. I don't remember if it's Barbara Bush who had written it, um, but I know it would have definitely have been referenced by um, Vereen Shepard and Hilary Beckles in their yeah, later work. I was actually just about to mention, because um, I remember reading an essay that Hilary Beckles wrote. I'm actually scrolling through Caribbean slavery in the Atlantic world right now to find the title. But he did an essay on... Um, let's call it the sexual economy and black women within that um, economy. When I find it, I'm going to mention it. Give me like two seconds. Found it. <laughs> so um, it's Property Rights and Pleasure, the Marketing of Enslaved Women Sexuality by Hilary Beckles. You can find it in Caribbean Slavery in the Atlantic World. I read it like, I don't know, maybe a year or two ago, so I really don't remember um, as much of what he mentions in it. But um, I think he did a pretty decent job of talking about um, almost the same thing that you were mentioning, Jereen, about um, how, how enslaved women earned quote-unquote earned um within that time and what they had to do and how their how their bodies were a part of this economy um, yeah just there's so much that we have to reckon with that we have not yet and i don't know when and if we'll ever do that um yeah i don't know if if it is that the people with the knowledge need to find different ways to have these conversations. Oh, definitely, definitely, definitely. <laughs> interested in it because I think based on my own experiences with, um, I hate that Twitter is always a reference, but I don't go outside much. So my own experiences with having certain conversations around uh, 
race, sex, women's bodies, um, they, I don't know if people think that it's more of an American, a black American thing, a black American phenomena or something that isn't easily translated within our Jamaican context. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure what it is. I don't know if this, uh, if the marketing of Jamaica as paradise has brainwashed us as well. And so we have this idea that there aren't so many, um, what's the word I'm looking for? So many things that we haven't dealt with, so many skeletons in our closets, so many scars and wounds left untreated, so many other cliches of that nature. And uh, yeah, I think so we need to talk about. Yeah, I, I think it's, I think we've just been, well, I, I, I have expressed my grievance a lot about not just people not talking about this, but from people who copy and paste an American or even a European idea of what women's experiences are and try to fit it on top of the Caribbean instead of looking at what's actually happening around us. And yeah, I'm I'm actually taking a free or an open course now at UE St. Augustine. That's the one in Trinidad, right? Yeah. Yeah. Is it with um Trinidad? What's her name? Yeah. With Gabriel. Yes. I was so I'm taking class. Oh yeah, I missed that class because I did not know what the other week it was. So <laughs> That um, one was on women and the care, care economy. economy. It was yeah, and I did the readings and everything. And then I was like, wait, today's not Tuesday, it's Wednesday. So, um, but I really like it because she is my first time really spending time with uh, Red Oak and her work in terms of looking at the... Why am I speaking so slowly? All right, it's my first time looking at Red Oak and her work with Indian women in the Caribbean and the indentureship and how that would have played out for women and in the Caribbean. And it was just so meaningful for me to be reading about other women besides white women and Afro and African women in the Caribbean and how their role and how a lot of their bodies, a lot of their expectations would have played out in our society and also the stereotypes that we have around these women so yeah like there is stuff out there I think you have to be very deliberate about wanting to learn about things especially because American gender theories American gender ideas have it's it's American so it's going to be the most prominent and it has become a lot more commercially viable so it is what we see a lot of so until we, as here in the Caribbean, uh, here in Jamaica, until we start making sure that our own experiences are theorized, documented, and shared in a way that people can easily get it, I don't expect much change. I still expect people to be saying foolishness like, oh, we are trying to get equal opportunity in the workplace because women 
didn't have access to the workplace until recently and stay-at-home moms. I'm like, are you serious? Caribbean women have always been working against our will and until now. What are you talking always, about? Always, we always, didn't always. have a fight for voting in the well in Jamaica because well we weren't seen as citizens. <laughs> and when we did we have adult suffrage. So don't talk about voting rights for women. Like mm-hmm. we have political issues we have economic issues but they're not the same as what would have happened in america or in europe and i i get tired because i'm just like the information is there but at the same time i look at the academic work i look at where the information is and how it's not even trying to get into the hands of people outside of the the people who already know about it it's okay you wrote this amazing paper but besides your 20 colleagues and the 15 students you're forcing to read it to write the next paper on who's going to read it who's going to have access to it it's going to be locked up in a library for how long so yeah I, I don't think I think even with stuff entering the mainstream even with the discussions about Michael Jackson and R. Kelly I don't think we're ready to have those discussions about what it looks like here in Jamaica what does it look like in dancehall what does it look like in soca and are we ready to deal with that so when sister Marion Hall says yo I was just doing dancehall because I needed to pay my money I mean I needed to pay bills I needed to make money and I did not feel comfortable with it. I was raped multiple times. I don't feel comfortable doing a lot of these things. I did not feel like me, but people loved it. And people to this day are still back. Bring back Lady yeah, Saw. I'm like, come back. Mm-hmm. hello, this yeah. this lady is, is like, are you like, are we ready to listen to that? Are we ready to deal with that? Like, we we want songs that, of course, are sexual and amazing, but at the same time, we don't want to deal with people who that's not their reality. That's not what they want. Mm-hmm. Are we ready for dancehall and reggae and soca singers who aren't singing about sex? Like, is that something we want? Mm-hmm. Um, th- there's that. And do we want to deal with the baggage that goes into creating those songs? Yeah, right. Are we ready to are we ready to hear um hear some of these women talk about their actual real life experiences? We are favorite artists here. Because that reaction to Lady Saul, I'm just like, are you listening to what she's saying? No, we want that mm-hmm. we don't want it. the Christian song. And I'm just like and then like she played her she's doing her thing, you know, in her Christian way, and then people are just like, Oh, but the song can broke out and I'm just like Oh my gosh, are you really ready for that? Are we ready for what's the I'm so bad with names. Let me Google it. Billie Eilish? Yeah. Billie Eilish, are we ready for uh, someone who dresses like Billie Eilish mm-hmm. to sing dance? So look at how people treat yeah. coffee and how she oh dresses and how right. oh my God. It, it, it's it's just are we ready for this? Right? <laughs> But yeah, you know? like, I, I don't know if I think we want to say that everyone is safe and we want the idea of everyone to be happy in our spaces. And I don't want to limit it to just dance all because mm-hmm. we see it in academic spaces. We see it with 
students and professors at UE. We see it all over and it's just, we want to pretend that it's not there. And it's so, I think it is easy for us to point a finger at the music industry. It's a lot harder for us. And to some extent, we've accepted it in churches. It's a lot harder for us to say, yo, this happens in your highbrow establishments. This happens in your ivory towers at the university. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know if we're ready for, uh, I, I guess, a more holistic and more honest representation of gender and expectations for people. I, I think we want to say that we can continue. I think we like the idea of continuation of a culture of happy silence. Yeah. yeah. Um, sure. I don't think we want... So when, like, when we talk about um, a, tr- a society that's transformed, um, especially during election times, when whoever is vying for prime minister and vying for vying to be the government, they talk a lot about, like, for example, in the most recent election, this idea of a new Jamaica and um, one that is transformed into one where everybody can live, work, play, have families, blah, blah, blah. I don't remember what the Vision 2030 slogan is. But, uh, wait, there was a first thought that I had because Jerrine talked about like five different things. (laughs) But um, I wanted to mention that um, in Gabriel's class on Tuesday. um, So initially I wasn't going to attend the class because I was like, eh, I feel like we've exhausted the topic of the care economy when really it was really so good to quote unquote, get back to basics, like really um, get back to understanding it. Because one of the things that I realized, well, not realized, but remembered is that for one, Caribbean scholars have been writing and theorizing um, about things forever right since forever like these things exist and as you rightfully mentioned sometimes we we run to especially if you if you were a part of um quote-unquote feminist twitter back in the early 2010s um which means that you would have been surrounded a lot by american feminists and american feminist scholars and so i noticed personally um that um a lot of my examples were within an American context and it wasn't until recently like maybe two or three years ago that I started I started doing the work of going all right well this exists in North America for black women what is the experience like for Caribbean women and specifically what is it like for me as a Jamaican woman and for other Jamaican women and starting to think through that and the more you think through that and as you rightfully mentioned, deliberately seek out that information, you'll realize that Caribbean women have been writing a lot about these things. I remember booking up on a paper um, on gender-based violence and how, you know, um, it was discussing how gender has been conflated with women and how we have women and cisgendered women specifically and how it has 
done a disservice in recognizing trans women and how trans women um, experience gender-based violence, how non-binary people experience gender-based violence. Um, it was written by Tanya Haynes and someone else. I can't remember the next person. Good girl, Tanya. Right? Oliver, you say? She's so smart. Like this paper was really hard to read, but it's really, it's a really good thing to read. To see <laughs> and read. Um, but I say that to say two things. One, that they exist, right? The work exists. Um, theorizing around um, Caribbean, the experience of Caribbean women exists. But as you rightfully mentioned, a lot of it is locked up, one, behind paywalls. Um, if I didn't have a UE email, then I wouldn't have access to access to that paper so one it's locked behind paywalls um they're locked away in journals journals are great but the average person isn't getting up to go and buy um they're so expensive they're expensive and they can't they're not super accessible too it's like it's like I get in fifty dollars. Okay, it's not fifty. It's like thirty to fifty dollars for five essays, and I'm like, mm-hmm. these are great, mm-hmm. but I can't subscribe to this, which is why I, can't I, I still have it as a goal for a woman to be able to subscribe to these things, because yo, if if it's going to take a collective, then it needs to happen. Clearly, I, I really Clearly. want. I'm just like, how how who is affording these things? How are you? I'm so Other curious academics. about how they even though them broke too. The ten of them. <laughs> it's like you know that gif of them passing around the 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 phone dollar? That's how ah. I feel. A lot of academics are it's just like, oh you have an essay coming out here. Here take Sweet the money. Yeah. I'll mm-hmm. read and then here exactly and then just keep it. passing it around. That's, ex- that's, that's exactly what it is. So anyway, so sorry, they... I cut you off big time. Go ahead. That's okay. So like the five of us who are um who are able to access these papers these essays these works through whatever means um we're having these discussions but then there's a flip side of trying to move the conversation from from say a space like twitter into a different space and you realize that there is this additional block of i don't want to say that people aren't interested in it because I've always found that to be a lie. I think Jamaican people are extremely interested in things like politics, history, um, economics, and they have the knowledge about it. People are having these conversations literally everywhere, every day. But it's, for one, though, I know that conversations around gender and women get Jamaicans very anxious, anxious to the point of, shutting down before the conversation starts so that's another thing to think about but i'm just uh, i'm really i'm really ready for for us to really mean what we mean when we say that we want a new jamaica and we want a transformed society um and it's not the kind of thing that will come after election it's not the type of thing that will come after 100 days in office it's not the type of thing that will come after five years of being in administration um it's not that that it's not gonna come through that like your government the revolution will not be what's a cute way to say i don't know election naga bring a revolution it's not gonna happen um because so many politicians are just not invested in having these sort of conversations either. So I, I'm, 
I don't know. I'm weary. I'm weary as a person who's constantly thinking about this. I'm weary as a person who wants more of this conversation to be happening um, in spaces where a lot of people can be reached. And uh, yeah, I'm just tired. Like I'm, I'm, I'm particularly tired with everything. <laughs> everything and with the latest thing that actually came up this week in a conversation i was having because someone pointed out to me that she has a foundation that's supposed to be sort of like a shelter for women who have been victims of um abuse but it's not up like her site isn't functional and i'm trying to figure out why like i'd really love to reach out and find out why it's not functional because the last update was like in 2015 and then it was actually during that time that I, no, actually, it was a couple of years ago that I found out as well that about her experiences while being a dancehall artist. And it was at that point that I decided to stop being one of those people that was um, lamenting the quote on the proverbial death of the lady saw icon. Um, and so I'll leave the woman alone because this is probably the first probably one of the first times in her life that she's finding some sort of peace where she feels um or she probably doesn't feel so beholden to all the shit that she had to had to go through um when she was doing um dancehall music and it actually reminded me of a conversation that came up a couple weeks ago before i left twitter about hip-hop artists and the treatment of women who are in hip-hop i think um a former either dancer no let me not assume what her profession was but she she was in the hip-hop industry and she she made a couple ig story videos and naming people who sexually assaulted her and the usual reaction of course is that people telling her that she's lying or we need to hear the next side of the story and then the entire conversation erupted about um like, are people ready to reckon with the fact that their favorite genre, hip-hop, that their favorite artists are complicit in very oppressive and violent behaviors? Are we ready to talk about um, the people who sing the songs that we love? Are we ready to, to hear, hear stories of people who have been their victims? Are we ready to hear that story? We're not. We're really not. We're really not. So, as you said, we want to create this safe space, but we are not, we're not ready to face the uncomfortable feelings that will come with facing a lot of things. Like, I think people have a fear of feeling uncomfortable. So there's this fear of finding out that your favorite artist is a pedophile or that your favorite artist is a rapist. And so the mind does this thing where it blocks it out completely and move on and forget that it exists. But we need to, we need to start getting comfortable with being uncomfortable if we truly want this transformed new Jamaica, whatever the fuck that means. This was a deep ass conversation. <laughs> and uh, honestly, a lot of it, I don't feel like I have the authority to speak on because I think a lot of I'm not ready to have those conversations Christina and I, I feel like I need to do a lot of re inner work in terms of reevaluating some of the things that I I am 
I don't know, like, it's just hard. And I don't know if I'm ready to to have these uh, these conversations. And I'm also recognizing and acknowledging the biases that I have. And uh, so I need, I need to be burying myself in some literature right about now, to be honest. I completely understand not being ready or wanting to have those conversations, like in term because it will bring up so much personally that we haven't reckoned with. But at the same time, it's like let's have the conversation in general. Like it's time that we unearth some things. Yeah, for sure. So. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We went all over, but I think you can find great substance in there and actual book and play references. I hope you enjoy it. And thank you so much to our Patreon supporters. We're up 18 supporters this month. That's great. So we've hired someone in book club to transcribe some of our past episodes, and they'll also be doing this episode as well. And yeah thank you so much for listening thank you for patreon supporters and thanks for everyone who's been coming to our book club events and checking us out on social media at rebelwomenlit.com well rebelwomenlit and our website rebelwomenlit.com where we have our community library for everyone who's interested in reading books and reading academic papers that we've been able to get our hands on and our bookstore which we have books and stuff in that we send globally that was very awkward but yeah thank you guys for listening and bye bye see you at book club <laughs>